Welcome to the January episode of OMP Clinical Care Insiders, an original podcast series produced by the American Academy of Orthotists and Prosthetists. I'm Seth O'Brien, Chief Clinical Officer at Wheeler OMP and Chair of the Academy's Scientific Societies Committee. Today, I'm excited to welcome Sarah Marmar and Kylie Armstrong, co-chairs of the Academy's Gates Society. Sarah is a certified orthotist prosthetist at Orthotic Care Services in Minnesota, and Kylie is a certified orthotist prosthetist at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine in Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah and Kylie. You are maybe the first repeat guest. Is that right? I should have looked this up. I should be the one to know this, right? I think we are. Yeah, it was almost a year ago. Yeah. Yeah, one of the first couple of episodes. So everybody's got their homework to go back and refresh on your previous episode. Really excited to have you join me today. We get to dive into a little bit more of the GATE specifics. Of course, the two of you very familiar with GATE from being co-chairs of GATE Society. I think in the past, we did more of just a broad overview, and I'm really anxious to hear a little bit more of the granular diving into the subject in general and how maybe it weaves into your clinical practices and some of your thoughts on a grander scale. Yeah, I think that sounds great. Excited to get into it. First of all, though, what, let, let's catch up a little bit. Any random new roommate encounters in hotels, Airbnbs, VRBOs, anything like that? That's a great callback. I don't think anything new like that on my end. What about you, Sarah? No, I have been sticking to rooms by myself. <laughs> <laughs> Not, nothing to do with Kylie, just we've no. grown up since then, right? Kylie was a great roommate for the conference a couple of years ago, but I like my personal space. The conferences are a lot of sensory overload and I like to unwind yeah. and not talk to people a little bit. Bring me up to speed a little bit. What What's new for you, Kylie? Anything, anything since the last time we talked a year ago? Yeah. So since the last time we talked, I have accepted a new position as a research prosthetist orthotist at Northwestern. So I'm working with the new POC group. So the education program, but I'm working on the research side and just offering clinical perspective and expertise to all of the amazing prosthetic and orthotic research they've got going on. So that's really exciting. Such a cool move. Yeah, I'm excited for you. I'm really curious to jump from more of the clinical focus to the research side. How much research were you really diving into in your previous role? Or is this a, a very stark transition? It's definitely like day to day is so different for sure. It's always though been my long-term career goal. So I'm getting there pretty, pretty quickly. I'm on an expedited pace, but yeah, I have my master's in biomedical engineering, which I received before I went to Northwestern to get my MPO. And so I always knew that's eventually what I wanted to do, but I thought it was important to get the clinical experience and the patient interaction and understanding the insurance before I jump into research. I think that's really important to just not just have the engineer mindset of, oh, this is really cool, but also, but what's the application or is this feasible or how will this be implemented? That's great. Well, congratulations. How about Sarah? What's what's new on your plate? Are you still working with the kiddos? Uh, yep. I, not too many big updates. I'm still working at Orthotic Care Services and 2022 was a big year. My husband and I moved to Elko New Market. So I'm, I'm glad I don't have any huge updates, but that's been a great life change. Before the move, my commute was about an hour each direction every day. And now that's been significantly cut down to 20 minutes each direction. And even better, our office opened a new location that's just 10 minutes from my house too. That's been great for the work-life balance and has freed up some more time after work and I've 
quickly filled that with home projects. And my husband, he's like, this house, so our first house was our fixer-upper. We did all the big projects, and this one was not supposed to be the fixer-upper, but it's quickly becoming a new, as they always are. But hey, the holidays have been great. We've taken a break from our projects and got more planned for 2024. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Oh, good for you. Good for you. Another callback. I spent all week fixing sinks and plumbing. I need to jump back to another episode and get our our dancing plumber on the line. But anyway, let's jump into a little bit of gate specifics here. So one of the things that I'd love to start with is the January issue of the Academy Today is now out. Of course, we're recording just a couple of weeks before it actually publishes, but the advanced copies have already made it to you, I hear. I'd love to hear a little bit of just what you think about the content in here in terms of where are those golden nuggets for practitioners? A, a lot of focus, I think, on the gate training side of things this time, which is wonderful. But Kylie, what resources do you think are really highlighted there for maybe on the prosthetic side of things? Yeah, I think that people who have been involved or following what Sarah and I have been doing since we've been taken over as chairs of the Gate Society, a big focus for us has been this gate training. We woven it into our annual meeting topics and also now this Academy Today. I think that for me, it was interesting going into residency and clinical practice and realizing the lack of understanding of how to actually teach patients how to use the devices that we're providing. And it was interesting to look at it from the perspective of the PT. They're thinking, okay, what muscles can we activate or what joints range of motion can we get? Whereas I'm specifically for prosthetics, okay, what screws can I turn or what materials can I change to maybe alter the alignment? So the January issue of the Academy today, I think we have two articles that are really focused on prosthetic-related gait training. One I authored, which in large is a summary of a lot of the work that Bob Gailey has done in terms of discussing gait training for prosthetic users and how we can start really implementing that into our clinical practice as certified prosthetists, whether that's seeing a brand new amputee for the first time or seeing someone who has developed long gait patterns that are maybe not as advantageous for them. So those are really interesting and something I carried on into my clinical practice, just the really simple physical cues that you can use on your patients, putting your hands on their pelvis, trying to get that swinging sinusoidal motion of the pelvis when they're walking using gait belts. But really a simple one that I've utilized probably, I would say almost daily in my clinical practice since learning it at, it was the Academy annual meeting in, hmm, I would say maybe 2021 or 22, but we had two physical therapists discussing their gait training techniques and we had patient models there that we were trying the techniques on. And my patient model that I was working with was this incredibly like strong, you would look at him and be like, you're an, an incredible user. And we kept saying to him, we're not saying these things because there's something wrong with your gait. This is more for us to be learning. But there was one technique where we were trying to engage the patient to put more weight into their prosthetic side and utilize their prosthetic side muscles, even just in static standing. And one of the physical therapists, she said that a lot of our natural tendency is to just 
grab a hold of their hips and push them to that side. But that almost creates an off balance that recoils them to the other side. So what you do instead is put your hand right on the greater troch of the prosthetic side and you tell the patient to push into your hand. And what that actually is doing is pushing them into their prosthetic side and activating those muscles. And that's just a simple one that I use, like I said, almost daily when I was in clinical practice to really cue like, this is what it should feel like when you are putting weight into your prosthesis. Oh, and back to the the patient model that I was working with, like I said, he was incredibly buff. But after we did that with him, he was like, whoa, I have a totally different relationship with my prosthesis. And that for me was like a huge game changer of what disservice are we doing to our patients if we're not providing just these simple cues? So that's a lot of the work interwoven into my article. And then I finish up with some outcome measures that can be used. So Bob Gailey recently, recently, I think it was like 2020, published an article where if you could basically outline each of the tasks of the AMP Pro to a specific exercise or set of exercises. So if somebody scores poorly on a specific task, you can provide these exercises for them to do. And and it was showed that after eight weeks of this rehabilitation protocol that a lot of people improve their AMP scores and a lot of people actually improve their K level. So I talk about the use of that and how that can be outlined into other outcome measures as well. Yeah, such a powerful tool too. I think maybe underutilized in our field is testing frequently, right? We often, I think people value that K-level assessment as like the golden ticket to get what we need, but there's so much value in testing and retesting over time, just if nothing else to see this progress, right? Or to see, hey, something's not quite going as well as it used to. Let's dive deeper into that. And it's great as like a report card just for them to see that progress, because if we don't test again until the next time they need something, I think there's so much forgotten and lost in between, right? Totally. Yeah. The compensations that they may be using that lead to back pain or osteoarthritis that maybe we're just missing because it's too infrequent of a testing period or what have you. And then we have another prosthetic related article in the Academy Today issue. So it's written by Georg Fielder and Helena Hall. They did a study about how basically microprocessor knees mask alignment. So if there's core alignment, you may not catch that with a microprocessor knee. And he goes into a little bit of a discussion about what does that mean for our patients in terms of optimal alignment and spending time on gait training. If the MPKs are masking that, are we not doing our due diligence to ensure that they are getting what they need? Or at that point, is it, I think he made a comment that, is that just us trying to achieve the textbook standards and maybe we're being held to the mechanical knee standards that are of past times. So I think that's a really interesting consideration. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I wonder as you were as you were summarizing or reimagining these Bob Gailey nuggets of wisdom, did you find yourself constantly writing in all caps to capture that essence of Bob Gailey? <laughs> yes. I was really hoping that everything I was saying was like through the lens of Bob Gailey, because I think that is important to encapsulate and keep. (laughs) He's one of my favorites. And if anybody hasn't had a chance to actually see Bob Gailey work in person, you will not sleep through that one, I guarantee. (laughs) Yeah, I, I would definitely recommend. I saw him work in person in the Challenge Athletes Mobility Clinic, and that was just incredible. Just listening to how simply he really makes gait seem 
but he breaks it down so well. Yeah. I think a lot of this publication that's the January issue is going to have so many of these nuggets where it's one of those things. I think a lot like this podcast is going to end up being where every time you listen to it, you're going to have to go back and reread this Academy today. And you're going to have to go back and re-listen to this episode because you're going to catch these little tiny nuggets. Like you mentioned, the just having the patient push into the greater, your hand on the greater trochanter, right? These little nuggets of things that when you hear it, for the second or third time and you're like, oh, wow, I never picked up on that. And that's such a powerful little thing that's so easy to do, but so easy to overlook. I think there's going to be a lot of those nuggets in these these two offerings. Yep, I agree. So Sarah, maybe from the orthotics side, you can speak to that. What are you excited about in this issue that relates to orthotics and gates diving into the weeds a little more? Yeah, so there are two articles in this edition of the Academy Today related to orthotics and gait training. The first one, which is a really great reference for anyone that's new to the idea of gait training for orthotic users, is Eric Weber wrote an article about mastering gait training for the lower limb orthosis user. And he brings you through the entire process, which is a great overview, starting with assessment and the power of doing a really thorough assessment, making sure you're determining the correct orthotic intervention and setting goals for your patients or helping them set goals for themselves. And then from there, after the fitting, he brings you through the steps of static weight bearing, moving into dynamic weight bearing and weight shifting. He has some really good tips too about helping with perfecting step length and stride length. He brings up this idea of using cones, which I've never done, but I want to try it now with my patients of putting cones out at equal distances to help the patients achieve symmetrical step lengths. And then he also brings addressing gait deviations and using video capture to help with this. And this is something I commonly do in practice myself working with pediatric patients. It is so powerful to take videos of your patients walking and slow them down and really see what's going on. He also brings up the idea of using mirrors. So not only with videos, you can slow it down and show it to your patient. But if you have a mirror and they can see in real time and start working on things in real time too, that visual feedback can be really powerful. Some really good ideas there. And then the other thing he talked about too, is when you do see those deviations, what do we need to work on? What muscles do we need to strengthen? What drills do we have to have these patients work through to gain strength? So a lot of really good tips and tricks. But my favorite thing that he talked about is motivation, which I think is really important. And we were talking about this with prosthetics and doing check-ins and going back to retesting K levels. We need to do that with the orthotic patients too. Revisiting goals, talking about how much progress they've made or pulling up old videos, slowing them down and say, look at you now compared to where we started. I know just the other day I had a pediatric patient where I was looking back at our notes and one of the goals for this child was that she could walk from one classroom to the next classroom. That's what she wanted to be able to do. And then to find out like at her last appointment that now she's going on 20 minute walks with her family. Like that was huge to be able to reflect back on that and be like, this has all been worth it. And you've worked really hard and come really far. I think sometimes patients, they lose sight of all the little change that's happening. I've had families comment that it feels like we're stalling, like we're not seeing a lot of progress. But when we look back and see the progress over six months, it can be amazing how much progress there is. Yeah, absolutely. I really encourage everyone to check that one out, that article by Eric. It's a great overview and a really good start for anyone that's just starting to get into gait training. And then the other article 
in the edition is one that I wrote about footwear. And I think that this is an area that's commonly missed in our field. I remember in school, one of the first things I would bring up is if your prosthetic patient walks in and there's something different about how they're walking, first thing they would say is, did they change shoes? Because that can have an impact on their alignment and how they're walking. And I don't remember there being as much of a focus with orthotic patients. And during residency, I've been in that scenario where it's like a patient comes in for their fitting appointment with no shoes. And what do you do? Do you just send the orthosis home with them? Or do we wait and make them come back with shoes? Or what do we do? I think it's a really important thing that we do as certified orthotists is not only make sure that the orthosis is fitting well, but also functioning well. And this article brings you through recommendations for shoes. I always love to make sure I'm measuring my patients for shoes before they leave. Tell the family exactly what shoe to get. Tell them, bring it to your fitting appointment and making sure they do. And sometimes I've pushed off the fitting appointment because I'm like, I really want to make sure this is working well for you. And then that article also talks about the importance of the shoe, like we were talking about with how it can impact prosthetic alignment. In fact, it will also impact the alignment of the orthosis and your shank to vertical angle. So this article starts touching on tuning and the importance of achieving the optimal shank to vertical angle for your patient to help with their mechanics when walking. Great. It's great work. One of the things that I really love about what the two of you have done with this one is there's so many invitations for some of these simple routine or process driven ideas or simple things that we can do that will just make the outcomes and the flow so much better. And something like you mentioned is as simple as taking an hour or two to develop like a handout or some specifics about education on shoe wear on the front side, whether that comes from the front office staff calling to make the appointment or whether that comes from us as the clinicians during an eval, right? To make sure that we're all set up for success at that next appointment. Another thing that that I love is that invitation to schedule the follow-up, right? So often I think we might say, hey, call us if you need us, follow up as needed. It goes into the note as a PRN kind of a deal. And why not make that three-month or that six-month follow-up, like you mentioned? If every six months, you probably have a little bit more regular contact being in a pediatric-centric environment where growth is always an issue and you're dealing with this changing body constantly. But for the rest of us, why not see the patient back in six months and just have that routine point of contact where we can jump out ahead of problems and get some of those outcome measures or that follow-up to really show progress, like you mentioned. I think those invitations are wonderful. And I I think the follow-up is so important at orthotic care services. We do make sure that our patients have a follow-up schedule, usually two weeks, three months, and six months. And that's just every single patient. That's what we stick to. And it's not only important for revisiting goals, but another piece of it is that kids are changing, their muscles are getting stronger, how they're moving will become different with time. And so there might be changes that you need to make to the tuning setup for each kid at those follow-up appointments. And if we miss that opportunity and a year goes by, we could have made more progress potentially by making some changes at that three-month or six-month appointment to accommodate the differences in their muscle strength or muscle length or anything because kids change. And But I could say that the same would go for an adult too who maybe had a stroke and we're seeing progress. So I do, I agree that follow-up schedule is key. And then you also brought up something too that again, my office does. We have found it so valuable to have our office when they call to remind them about their fitting appointments. We remind every patient, bring your shoes, 
And we've even told families, we will not fit your brace without shoes. And sometimes it scares them a little bit, but I'd say since we started doing that, maybe one out of every, I don't even know. I don't know the last time that I've had a patient show up without shoes. So that's pretty impressive. That is good. I've been on a, an odd tear of patients not showing up with shoes, despite our best efforts. So apparently I need to revisit that one myself. I don't think I've had any in 10 years. And now like four in a row, I'm getting my quota. I was going to say something about also follow-ups for prosthetics is really important too. Back to Sarah's point, yes, pediatric patients are changing a lot, but also the same can be true for amputees, especially for those new users. Something that I was reflecting on in terms of gait training and just alignment and the start of physical therapy for these patients, I commonly see I send someone out on their new prosthesis and I feel their prosthetic height is right on par and it seems they're happy with it. I feel like their iliac crests are level and then they show up two weeks later for their follow-up and their height just looks off and wonky. And a lot of times that can be because they've started that physical therapy or they've had muscular postural changes that have affected how the height of their prosthesis looks and feels for them. And it all goes back to how the rehabilitation process is going to just change how they use their device. And it's our role to make sure that the device is working for them throughout the timeline. You bet. Absolutely. Chicago's coming up, the Academy's annual meeting, and really excited for this one, the 50th anniversary of the Academy's scientific symposium and and annual meeting. Sarah, what's on the horizon? What can we look for? I I know I've heard whispers of a hands-on session. Is that something that you can tell me about yet? Yes, for sure. The Gate Society is putting on another hands-on session. I think this is our third in a row, and we have our same time slot, 7 a.m. on Wednesday, first day of the conference, March 6th. It should be a great session. It's focused on gate optimization and tuning for pediatric orthotic users. So unfortunately, Elaine Owen won't be able to make it across the sea for this academy meeting, but we will have some pre-recorded material from her. And then Don McGovern from the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab has really taken on a big role in helping organize the session. He's gotten, I think now, four pediatric patient models set up with their physical therapists. And they'll be there at the session, and it'll be a little bit of a mix between lecture and then hands-on. The goal is to make it as hands-on as possible. So we'll teach a concept and then give participants a chance to practice. So he'll lead us through a little bit of the assessment piece and determine the correct orthotic intervention because that's so important. But then really the focus is on standing and working on standing with your patient, then moving into stepping patterns and then full gait cycles. So it should be a really great session. I encourage everyone to check it out. I think there is an extra fee associated with it and the spots are limited. So we hope that people will sign up soon. They're well worth it. I can certainly say that. Looking forward to seeing you at that one. And don't forget the Society Trivia Night will be back again. So Friday, March 8th, be looking for that. Kylie, what about, I I know there's also a pedorthic and and foot and ankle track that has been happening for a while. Any details on what this year will be? Yeah, Seamus Kennedy has put together a lovely pedorthic and foot and ankle program that will be all day on Friday. And it's not just limited to certified pedorthists. It'll be 
all-encompassing of foot and ankle topics. So certified orthotists will really benefit from this as well. We will have a 45-minute time slot within the program. And we're planning a kind of fun post-lunch session of Outcome Measures Olympics. So we'll put together some outcome measures and have a restriction, whether by adding some sort of a an AFO or knee brace that you have to participate and complete the outcome measure with or some sort of restriction. And then we'll compare how each group does on the outcome measures and what they've learned from actually performing the outcome measure with the restriction that's been placed upon them and what that means for our patients and what what we can learn and apply from having experienced that. But it'll be a fun, like I said, post-lunch. So if you're feeling tired, this will get you up and out of your seat and it'll be competitive. I would expect very low scores from the Irish judge in Seamus. He is tough, I tell you. We'll have to get me in there as a judge to offset his brutal grades on the balance beam. Yeah, good cop, bad cop situation. (laughs) (laughs) Last couple of questions as we wrap up here. I'd love to know just thoughts that you may have in how do you approach actually collaborations with physical therapists? I, I know there's such a tough balancing act in terms of how much gait training do we really get into in the clinic during our time, which it's an important factor. And I think both of you lean into that pretty heavily, but then also... By the same token, that is another whole monster to tame, which referral to the physical therapist and separate work there is so valuable. How do you approach that, Sarah? Yeah, so I guess one of the biggest things that I try to do is schedule as many of my appointments with the patient as I can, actually during their physical therapy sessions. I find that the point of view that the therapist can bring is really valuable. They see things that I'm not always searching for, and I'm seeing things that they're not always searching for. And a lot of times we'll take video together and slow it down and we'll look and if we see a gate deviation, we can talk through, is that something related to our tuning? Do we need to adjust to what we have in the shoe and make some adjustments? Or is this due to muscle weakness and we need to work on strengthening? And then the physical therapist can really provide value there and give those exercises at that moment to the family to work on over the next couple of weeks to really target those weaker muscles. Or sometimes the physical therapists also think of things that I don't consider as much. They'll talk about, is there a vestibular issue that we need to work through? Or visual, it's a visual component. And then that may generate a referral to occupational therapies. I always think the more brains in the room, the better. Especially with kids, they're running around and it's hard to see things. So getting more eyes and more brains working together and approaching each child or each patient more holistically, I think, We all learn from each other and then we can create a better plan for the patient. Kylie, do you do you find that the importance of frequent follow ups is highlighted with those patients who attend physical therapy at all? Do you see a difference there? Yeah, you're going to see like like I was mentioning earlier, you're going to see some changes, especially well in prosthetics and orthotics in the way that they their body is interacting with the device and following up with them frequently is going to be really important to make sure that you're just tuning and aligning the orthosis or prosthesis in a way that's helping them on their path of progress. I think it's important to say and note that as prosthetic and orthotic professionals, we are not paid for our time for things like gait training. And so it's not necessarily an expectation that we're going out there and we're doing full gait training sessions or rehabilitation sessions, and we're not taking over the job of a physical therapist because we don't have those resources to do. But I think Adding little nuggets into your O&P appointments, like 
I mentioned when I add my put my hand on the grid of trochanter. That's such a simple cue that takes literally no time and just creates a different sensation for them to understand their device. And also, I think understanding gait training, whether or not you even implement it in your practice, I think broadens your perspective of the rehabilitation field as a whole and is going to give you a more holistic approach to your care and improve your collaboration with other professionals like physical therapists. A lot of times Sarah's in a really great position where those physical therapists are really accessible for her and that's amazing. But there are some clinics that don't have that direct access and being able to communicate, collaborate from afar is really important or having those physical therapists who maybe aren't as comfortable or used to the presentations that we see, such as people with amputations, being able to provide some resources or some very high level guidance. I think that is just going to ultimately improve the care that your patient receives, which at the end of the day, that's our goal. You bet. You two have done such an amazing job. I'm really excited about this January issue of the AT and it's going to be such a good meeting in Chicago. I can't thank you both enough for all of the really practical resources that you're putting in front of us as clinicians and beyond clinicians too. There's so much valuable information there. So thank you again. Just we'll touch on it real quick. Of course, as the co-chairs of the Gates Society, I'm sure there's always a need, but any specific requests or needs that you have within the Gates Society for our last little bit here? Yeah, we actually are caught up on a lot of things, which is weird for us to say. And now as soon as I say it, we're going to feel things. But that being said, we always have new tasks that we're like trying to implement and add to the Gate Society. And I feel like we always say this, but the Gate Society is for the people who are part of the society. It's not for Sarah and I. So if the content that we're creating isn't meeting the mark or you want something new or different, just let us know and also be a part of it. And we can make sure that the content is curated in such a way that it's actually beneficial. Yeah. And and join the discussion, right? So often it's not just disseminating that information, but it's the discussion from within that can really lead where it needs to go. Exactly. Awesome. Thank you both. It's great to see you again. Thank you so much for taking the time here. Definitely in, in busy work schedules. And I really look forward to seeing you both in Chicago. Sounds great. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Seth. And thanks again to all of you for listening to this episode of OMP Clinical Care Insiders. I hope you'll join us each month as we continue our conversation with key voices in the OMP community, discussing their areas of clinical care and sharing personal experiences as professionals in that specialty. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to check out the Academy's award-winning podcast for OMP professionals, OMP Research Insights with Dr. Steve Gard, and OMP Rising, a podcast created for emerging professionals in our field. Another thing that I'm excited to highlight is the Academy's podcast mini-series honoring the last 50 years of Academy annual meetings. You can catch a new episode each week and the first one is out now. For more information on the American Academy of Orthotists and Prosthetists, visit us online at omp.org. Thanks so much for listening and we will catch you next time.